This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey everybody, it's Gary Vaynerchuk. Super excited about today's episode on the podcast. We have an absolute force of nature. Somebody who's uh, caught the attention of so many out there. Uh, Julie Hart is with us. We're going to get to know her a little bit and uh, talk about some themes. Uh, Julie, for all the people who are listening that um, you know are not aware of you, why don't you take the floor and give them a little three, four minute, two minute context point and then we'll get into some questions. Certainly. So my name is Julia Hart. I have a show on Netflix called My Unorthodox Life that follows me and my family as I navigate the business world and, of course, the interpersonal relationships in my family. Um, I have a bit of a strange backstory. I was brought up in a very fundamentalist, ultra-Orthodox version of Judaism, married off at 19 to a guy I met for a few hours, no education, no connection to the outside world. I left when I was 43 years old, my children. And uh, a few months after I left, I started a shoe brand. A year later, we were being sold in 17 countries. A year after that, I co-branded with La Perla. A year after that, I became <laughs> creative director of La Perla. And two years later, I took over Elite World Group and am now co-owner and CEO and am transforming it, have transformed it into a talent media conglomerate. When I hear that, and, and from the day you started the shoe company to right now, just so I want to context that one more time, how many years has that been? Started in 2013, became creative director of La Perla in 2016, and in 2019 became co-owner and CEO of Elite World Group. So it's been so, eight years. Yeah, I'm so eight I think, years. Yeah, so I think that's the most fun question, just knowing the ambition and the makeup of this audience. What, what do you equate? What, what natural DNA? What things did you learn? What, how does one go from that scenario in an eight-year period to this place where you're at? You obviously know yourself the best, you know, at some level. Like, what stands out to you that maybe isn't obvious, right? I mean, obviously, ambition and tenacity, and there's going to be some things in there that. Is there anything that really stands out to you as like how you got so far so fast in such a short period of time, especially given the context point that you came from? I would say there's two things that I think without which you cannot really dominate or change an industry or be an, uh, an impotent change. Number one is people my age become very proud of what they know as opposed to very proud of what they're learning or their capacity to learn and grow. And that to me is one of my greatest strengths. I consider myself an eternal student. I am a researcher by nature. I love data. So when, before I came into the industry, I studied the industry Mm -hmm. in depth. I saw what was wrong. And so instead of learning from my own mistakes, I was able to learn from the mistakes of others. And, you know, I, we call, I call our, this company, the British fleet, right? As opposed to the Spanish Armada, because we're maneuverable. And as you know very well, our industry is not just hesitant to change, it's almost immune and allergic to change, right? Because there's this very entrenched fashion elite that don't want to relinquish their power. But with the advent of social media, it is vastly democratized fashion, whether you like it or not. Because for the first time, the audience isn't with the magazine or with the creative director or with the photographer, the audience is with the talent. And so 
what has stood me in great stead is that number one, I research, I educate myself. I never think that I have all the answers. And so I ask all the questions. And what I've seen can, in this book- Can I, can I, can I, can I can jump in on that? Them. Yeah, Certainly. I think I'm, I'm, I'm so aligned with that. Um, and I, I mean, I really associate with that, but let me ask you a nuanced question that might help somebody tap in who's listening because that's my obsession on this podcast. Do you think you're curious? Because it's one thing to say I'm data-driven, right? Because I want to break down two things. One, curiosity from eternal learner because I think there's a nuance there. And number two, there's a nuance of um, data that's black and white in numbers and then data that I live in that I'm already sensing that you live in, which is it's gray and you're interpreting the qualitative thing, not necessarily the quantitative thing. Can you break that down? Perfectly stated. So as you say, I think that is part of being an eternal student is seeing what can be, not what is. It is utilizing the data and knowledge that is available today to predict what will happen tomorrow. So in 2019, for example, when I took over Elite World Group and I said, the talent is the media. Forget about the runway. It's not just about the runway. I don't care if you're a deep sea diver or a mountain climber. If you have an audience that comes to you for aspiration or inspiration, I monetize that. And so thinking that way is exactly as you said, it is utilizing data that is currently available to everyone, but extrapolating, build on it, seeing what can be as opposed to what is. It also, to your point earlier, the industry was run by people who always relied on somebody else for distribution, whether it was a magazine or a runway. Nice. The nature of where we live today is the human has the distribution and that's about to be compounded in a crazy way with Web3 and decentralized blockchains and NFTs. Social is just a preview to a much more economic- yeah, 100%. yeah, and I love it and I think it gives me the opportunity to literally create an army of financially independent women because now the ball's in their court. They've got the power because they bring the audience. So we really brought in-house all the areas of expertise, production, just marketing, uh, content creation. You know, think about what makes an NBC an NBC, right? You have to have writers, producers, directors, sonographers, content creators. Just because you're a baseball player or a tennis player or a singer or a model, doesn't mean you can create your own compelling content. So we brought that all in-house to truly transform our talent's digital presence into networks. And we then found that we have a viewership of 2 billion people, 2 billion people. We have data for 2 billion people. We have their buying, their buying uh, habits. We have their psychographics and their demographics because again, the talent has the audience. And so we can utilize that to target with such specificity that for the first time, an ad spend becomes working dollar because it's trackable and quantifiable and measurable. So on the talent side, we help build them and give them longevity in their careers because we all know that there is a day when you can't play tennis anymore, when you're not walking the runway, when you're not the polo player or the football player because age hits us all, whether we like it or not. So this is a way to elongate everyone's career by utilizing the time that they're in the world's eye to build them into a brand and a network so that people become so accustomed to going to them for advice, for inspiration, for knowledge and health, wellness, beauty, lifestyle, you name it, that even so once are you don't have a runway anymore, they're still making money. They're still selling product because they're unnetworked. 
Julian, how much uh, effort is the organization putting towards making sure that people don't fall in love with the platform of the moment? You know, I think one thing that you mentioned earlier um, about the industry, right? Yeah, I figured you would like this one. I love this question. Um, yeah, because I'm just listening to you. And so I'm like, okay, right. Exactly what you saw with the old guard understanding. It's been fascinating for me to see, even in a seven-year window, people that built their entire career by being right that Instagram was the emerging thing from Facebook struggled in the last three years going to TikTok because people get very cozy in the thing they figured out and is working for them. And as you can imagine, let's talk about models to your point that you're talking about. TikTok is a very different platform than just putting up a photo on Instagram. So the mediums change and the skill sets and some of the people that naturally over-index on them have to adjust to those new realities. Gary, I mean, this is like the best interview I've ever had. Yes. So like 100% correct. So what's really interesting is in addition to being able to transform talent into media, we were also able to uh, massively expand our client and talent roster. So for the first time, we're not just, you know, we had, I think we represented 3,300 models when I took over in 2019. We now have over 5,400 talent. So whether it's a runway or a mountain, it's irrelevant. As you said, whether you're a model or a tennis player or a deep sea diver, you need attitude. You need to be interesting because digital enables you to just show not what you're an expert in, but your nature, your personality, your creativity. And so it is a very different kind of talent. Even if it's a model, it's a model who has something to say. For the first, and believe me, these women that we represent, they have so much to say. Of course. It's the most annoying. It's so annoying when people think like yeah. put people into pigeonholes and say Thank you're you. pretty, so you're not smart, or you're an athlete, so you're an idiot. Like it's terrible. It's ridiculous. And you know, we have uh, we just signed someone who has a doctorate in uh, macroeconomics. I mean, this is what it's about. It's about truly giving them. And as you said, Gary, how much we invested in this. The reality is that we needed to bring in all that expertise in-house. Of course, if you didn't control that, you were finished. Exactly. Let, let me jump to a couple of things because we don't have a ton of time and there's a couple of things that I think you can... So your story, you know, that is a that is a hardcore community. You know, I'm an East Coast guy. I was born in the Soviet Union to a Jewish family. So I have a lot of understanding. Oh of, yep, I was born yeah, in the former Soviet Union. Right? Yep, what's that? Amazing. I was born in Moscow. Oh, I didn't know that. I was born in Belarus. That's crazy. We I were, came when I was three and a half. I was three when I left Russia and five when I got here. That's amazing. So we oh, have very God. similar backgrounds. Yes. So, so knowing a little bit more maybe than the average 330 million American, not that everybody comes from that pocket, but a lot of people come from their pockets, Native Americans, uh, uh, the, the streets, a drug, uh, three generations of drug family, uh, surfer dude who wants to be this or... Or yeah. Wyoming, who wants to own New York, or New Yorker that wants to just be in Vermont and live in the tree. People come from their cultures. Your story on paper, and this is why I'm so excited to go deeper. How long did the seed in your mind grow from at some point in my life, I'm not going to live in these four walls that were created for me? How long was that momentum? Because I think when you hear an inspirational story like this for a lot of people, I think a lot of people, I, like uh, one thing I do, Julia, with my content all the time is I talk about patience because I think people have a bad relationship with time and right. it fucks them up, right? 
they see your story, and I'm sure, you know, I've, I know, because I'm living in life, and I know how many people have associated with your story, they might be in a tough marriage. There could be a million things. Golden handcuffs, right? Golden handcuffs in a job. I think where pe- people get discouraged is they think that you did it in like one day, and they, that's not how human nature works. I'm really curious, in your own words, how long was that festering to finally then get you to the point where you were able to do it? So I have a book coming out. It's called Brazen. Uh, it's up for pre-sale on Barnes & Noble and Amazon right now. When's and it come out? It comes out in March. Awesome. Um, and that really takes you through the entire journey. Okay. I'm ridiculously honest. I say all the mistakes that I made because, again, it was literally walking 300 years into the future. It was a world I did not recognize at all. You mean, you mean when you kind of came out of the cocoon? At 43, yeah. like, what is this universe? Literally. Talk to because- me about... Before you go there, I'm just, yeah. I, I'm so fascinated. We get there. So, I'll, so the trajectory of that was that when I was 35 years old, that's the day, I remember the day very clearly, is the day that I give myself permission to acknowledge that the system was broken. Okay. Because until I was 35, I thought something was inherently wrong with me because everyone around me is happy. Everyone around me fine, just being wives and mothers. And, you know, you're brought up thinking that your only choices are good marriage, bad marriage, right? That's it. Because just the minute you're born a woman, your entire life is already decided for you. Your purpose in life is decided for you because all women are supposed to be doing the same thing. And the my nature was in direct contrast. And I was told I was being, that I had to be to be a good person. You're supposed to be quiet, humble, behind the scenes. Who, who, who in your family gave you a glimmer of hope as you were getting older? Did any of your parents, siblings, other relatives, or a friend, who, or maybe the outside world, who gave you a little bit of, you know, you have your insular part, which it was your own being that got you there, but there always is some enabling to that. Did anybody, who, who? My daughter. Your daughter. My daughter. Interesting. When, um, when she was five years old, and that's what really started this all. My entire life, from the time I went into that community until the day I left, I was miserable. When did you go into that community? Uh, when I, when we, we became religious when I was uh, seven years old. So you come to America a couple years in, and you know, because you got here when you were five. So two years in, your parents, I guess your dad, your your parents said, "We're going further down this hole of our religion. We're going to the, this much more aggressive version of it." We're not, these are the new rules. Correct. And then okay, I moved keep going. to Muncie when I was 11 years old. So we uh, were living in Austin, Texas at the time, you know, and I was starting to cover myself the whole nine yards. And then we moved because it wasn't religious enough there. Sure. So we moved to Muncie. Now, my daughter, Miriam, turns five years old and she is this, this little rebel. Uh, she's the youngest teacher in Stanford history, just to give you an idea of who this young woman is. When she was a... Um, a freshman in Stanford, she was also giving an, a class on augmented reality. Uh, now, if I hadn't left, she would be married, pregnant with baby number two in the kitchen, and she's bisexual and has a girlfriend. Certainly, that would not fly in my world either. So when she was five, she started asking all the questions that I'd been thinking my entire life, except she was five. So it was the first time where, you know, they had convinced me that I was bad. They couldn't convince me that my five-year-old was.
because I'd never said those things out loud. And she's a massive sports person. She won, um, what's it called, that race, Spartan in San Francisco, not just for women, but for women in general, not just her age group. I mean, she's an athlete. And she was told, no, you can't play sports. You can't run. You can't do this. You can't do that. And she would say, why? And my husband would say, so that a man shouldn't have bad thoughts about you. And she would literally look at him and say, but why isn't that his problem? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, wait a minute. Why isn't it his problem? And so it's really my daughter that started. Because they were, they were your natural feelings that went into a box. And it was your daughter who reopened that box. And here she we are. permission to open that box. That it so took me eight years, eight years till I actually walked out the door. Got it. So, right. So to your point, and by the way, everybody who's listening, I, you know, when I saw this come through and they're like, Julia wants to be in the box. I was like, yes, because of this exact moment. This was it. For me, and all of you who are listening, you know me. I think, you know, we're around the same age. Like, I don't know. I think I have 40 fucking crazy, productive, massive offensive years in front of me. I think people really struggle with that. And so when I hear eight years from Julia, I'm like, oh, literally, my brain, Julia, just went, oh, not too much, not too bad, right? Whereas I know 95% of my audience is like, eight days is like, why didn't this happen? Why didn't I get it? Like, there's a complete lack of understanding. So for me, I just know that there's hundreds of thousands of people that are gonna listen to this that are not happy, and they know subconsciously or consciously why, and if I could just get them to start during this podcast for an eight-year journey to do it, and then they'll be 27, 39, 52, 61, and en enjoy the rest of their life, well, that's uh, a mitzvah, you know? And so I, I'm pumped to hear that, and I think a lot of people needed to hear that, and thank you for that. Talk to me about something else that I think a lot of people are going through as they get more internet famous, and obviously... The show has been a smash. So you you and the family are going through a transition where a lot more people know who you guys are. And obviously it's COVID. So it's not like in the past where you're like always out and about and everybody's out and about. So it's probably been tempered a little bit. And it's but it's there. And what has been the most challenging thing now that a lot more people know you and your family from your perspective? I think what people don't realize about me is I'm really a private person. <laughs> and of course, but I am more focused and driven than I am concerned about my own personal preferences, right? So to me, what I realized is with the advent of social media, with the fact that the talent, people have the audience. If I want to change the world, if I want to, I got to be on it. That's it. And so even though it's really uncomfortable for me, I've got to meaning, tell meaning you go out to dinner and now people are rolling up on you and that doesn't come natural. No, not even remotely. And are and I'm still in the phase. Do you have this? So what absolutely works for me is no matter. How, and by the way, that's why I was smiling again. And we do have a lot of similarities. <laughs> I'm so out and about, but I'm inherently private too. And I think it's a little bit to do with our culture too. forget about even, you yeah. know, we were brought up by Soviet parents. Obviously your family made a decision on religion was very different than mine. But I was still very taught, like everything is in the house. Nobody knows anything outside. That was a very Soviet thing, right? Um, but for me, the thing that makes it palpable is I'm so flattered. I still am so flattered and grateful that somebody wants to, that it kind of trumps everything else. How about yeah. for you? What make, what makes, is your, are you saying your ambition is what makes it palpable? I think it's the response that makes it palpable. 
you know, um, we have received, my daughters and my and me, we've received literally hundreds of thousands of messages from women all over the world. I've had twice where someone comes up to the table that I'm eating at and hands me a handwritten letter. Yeah. And one of those, this woman literally wrote that the day that the show came out, she was planning on committing suicide. And yeah. someone was talking about the show and she said, you know what, let me just watch an episode. And she didn't commit suicide. No, I know. And that makes it all worth it. That's what makes it worth it. The point of the show, as you said, it doesn't matter whether it's golden handcuffs or a bad marriage or a bad community or just that you've been put down your whole life. You've been told to be polite or wait your turn or ask your mission. You know, somebody asked me about the show and I've caught some episodes. I said, it's a parenting show. That was literally my answer. To, To your point that you're making now, almost, you know, it is a stunning high percentage of the world that has at least one parent that plays defense. Yeah. And and then thus they understand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, when I think about why we did this, and honestly, I think this is a great prep for my book because the book goes really in depth into my psyche, what I what I lived through to get to where I am. Because as you said, who was it that said, oh, I, I became a billionaire overnight. It only took 30 years. Yeah, it's a cliche thing. I'm not sure who it is, but of course. But that's what it is. And and I think it's important for people to recognize that and think and understand that you are going to make a thousand mistakes. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Just forget about what you do well. I don't. Well, wouldn't would would one, you know, it's funny. I always say adversity is the foundation of success. Absolutely. I was, I lost so much as a kid. If, you know, from where I came from, that by the time I was ready to go, like it, business was always easy for me because I loved no. I would argue that you knowing, even at you know, at some point it was conscious, then it became your subconscious, then your daughter brought it back to your conscious. Like you were in such a fucking no environment that by the time business was easy for you. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. I love, but it's all I want to do. Like I came out, I tried the whole club bar thing, and I realized. <laughs> do that i just want to work i want to show the world what i have inside of me that's all i care about and so <laughs> you know i got focused because i didn't know but you know it looked fabulous on television and then i found out hey in clubs nobody actually dances what's the point they all look at each other <laughs> i genuinely still don't understand it so to me what drives me what excites me what keeps me up till two o'clock in the morning and back up at 4 a.m. because I am an insane insomnia yep. is the fact that we can change things. We can have make the, have the, how do you think the How do you think the kids are handling the extra food? Oh my God, they're having the time of their lives. You know, I'm sitting there like, ah, they're like, this is amazing. We can get into anywhere we want to go. <laughs> they're having the time of their life. Mama over here is like, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk to me about your. Now, so a little bit of fun before we get out of here. Social media. What platform comes most natural to you? Which one do you personally just like? Oh, actually, Gary, I'm glad that you asked that because I never answered your platform question. Go ahead, go ahead. Do your thing. So, actually, because it's actually very interesting. The beauty of our talent is that they're platform agnostic. Right. People still haven't realized is the talent is the platform. That's right. So whatever... Attention, attention is the only... That's the, the only asset. That's the commodity. The commodity is the attention. Correct. And with that commodity, you can also have targeting, 
ROI on, on your advertising spend, you can literally change the narrative. And so what we found is wherever our target, where let's say, for example, TikTok, right? When TikTok came out, it became really big through COVID. What people don't realize is that we did a deal with TikTok. They helped us um, with our elite model look, and we brought our talent onto TikTok. And the talent brings the audience. So we are actually platform agnostic. There could be 900 more platforms. It doesn't matter. My talent is the platform. Of course. And we're going to put the power in their hands so that they can be, I just want an army of financially independent women. That's the goal. That's the goal. And are all your clients women? A predominant amount is. We do represent men as well. And we have wonderful agents who represent them as well. Sure. You know, it's really funny. One of my fun questions and obviously you have this smash on one of the platforms. What about your consumption on OTT? Are there any shows that you watch? Obviously you're grinding and focused, but you know, I use New York Jets football and the Knicks. That's my escapism. Every human needs an outlet. Is it reading? Is it podcasts? Is it shows, documentaries? That's how I learn. Like where do you, cons- what do you consume when you consume? So I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. To me, books were my eye to the outside world. I wouldn't be where I am today if I did not read everything I could get my hands on. When I left Atlanta, I lived in Atlanta for a while, long story. When I <laughs> donated my books to the Atlanta Public Library, and I was told then that it was the largest donation in Atlanta history. And it just books are that- you, Are you one at a time or you got five going into producing accounts? I am a serial monogamous, darling. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What about um? What about podcasts? I do, do my television, but mm-hmm. you know, again, I'm a big Netflix, uh, Amazon consumer. I love, um, I love escapists, right? So it, it's always the shows I generally watch are either historic in nature, documentary, or female empowering. You know, I love shows where, you know, women rule. Yeah, uh, and it just it gives it me all the sense of the world. Gives yeah. Everything. So exactly. So like, I'll watch something like a Bridgerton because that's how I grew up. Minus the parties and the fabulous clothing. Yes. Women's house to, you know, father's house to husband's house. Women's minds are not made for intellect or politics or business. Just be a good wife. So I watch those shows because it reminds me where I come from. Yes. And I'll watch shows about female entrepreneurs. How, how, how is the establishment of your community, the old guard reacting to you right now? Is, is this like a problem? Deliciously, darling. (laughs) You love, you love what it's doing, right? Well, you know what it is? I'm very careful because it isn't about any people. It isn't about a religion. It isn't about bad versus good, happy versus unhappy. The rules that exist in my world existed globally around the world a couple of years ago. Just the fundamentalist communities, whether it's Jewish fundamentalism, Muslim fundamentalism, look at any funny. Yeah. Look at those scenes coming out of of Afghanistan right now. Of course. Or as you said, whether it's just an unhappy marriage or someone who's ex. That's right. The stuff that's that's most extreme, all of us can be like, ooh, that's some extreme shit. The part that I work on every day is like, if you're hanging around pessimistic people, you're going to be affected. And and unfortunately, you know, I get a lot of raspberry. You'll just, you'll understand this. I go very extreme with it because I'm trying to like fucking help. I'm like, look, if your fucking mom is putting you down all the time and is pessimistic, you have to limit your time with your mom. And people, the comments are always like, even your mom? I'm like, yes, your fucking mom. Your mom is the fucking problem. Yeah, I mean, 
I always say, you know, there, it's, it says in the Torah, Chayafa Kodeh, which means your life comes first. Period. Your life comes first. And what people understand is uh, in Hebrew, the word for influence is hashpa. And hashpa comes from the root, which is shipur, which means a slam, right? Because it's like yep. if water, hits, yep. it's going to hit. Down the mouth. That's right. And the other thing that I would say to your point, Gary, which is very, very great point, is you've got to have so much internal, internal confidence that you don't hear the naysayers. When we started transforming this company from talent management to talent is media, everyone told me I was crazy. Something that, um, what's your name? Gertrude Stein once said, when asked about uh, how people react to seeing, uh, you know, because she was like basically considered the, mo the mother of um, impressionism. And so people would see the impressionist painting in her apartment for the first time. And when asked what the reaction was, she said a line, which to me is the core of everything I do. They come to mock, but they That's stay right. to pray. But they stay to pray. So ignore the mockers, forget it. They're all going to come and mock. If you're doing something different, if you are a, a, a lightning rod of change, everyone's going to mock you. Get used to it. Get used to being mocked. You, you know, you know what's funny about that? Stupid, you know a liar, an idiot, a crazy person. But then they stay to pray because then they see that what you're doing is right. You know, it's really funny. I got to such an extreme version of that that I even think I subconsciously reinforce the booing. I call it booing. I am obsessed with it. Me too. I love I, it. I, I actually only want to be the underdog only like one of the things that's been hard for me over the last three or four years is i've got a lot of momentum going and i don't like the cheering as much as the booing not only am i comfortable with it to your point and that's the right statement if people could get could get comfortable with the no and the pushback life gets so much better exactly. where it where it gets really interesting and fun is when you're addicted to the booing I mean, I, I, my great preference, because I, I always innovate in everything I ever do. So immediately it's no. Exactly. Always. always. Everyone looks at you like you're crazy. When I changed the way that like stretch was incorporated so we could make stretchy chiffons or stretchy lace, a guy patted me on the head, literally with his hand. Yes. Oh, Julie, I don't think you, I mean. Yeah. I know, I know. Well, the I, I hate the establishment. It's crazy how much disdain I have for the establishment. Nothing makes me happier. I, I think that's what uh, absolutely associated me to what I was seeing uh, in your episodes. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, I understand that super duper. And it tastes so fucking good. It tastes great. And you know, you say you're addicted to booing. I call it, I'm addicted to fear. I try to do something that scares the shit out of me at least once a week. Yeah, you're pushing yourself. You challenge yourself. You push yourself. You know, it's funny. Fear. Yeah, fear is one of the biggest things that I try to eliminate. You know, you're pushing yourself. That's a different version of it. To me, a lot of people don't think things, do things because they're scared. Yeah. And, and I and people use fear as a weapon, as you know. I mean, that's exactly I what it is. my own personal weapon. I totally to understand what you're doing. I totally get you know what it. I, mean? I love it. More, more than you can imagine. Tell me I'm crazy. It literally makes me feel good. <laughs> that's that's when you just know you're more right than the masses. Hey, they come to mock, but they stay to pray. 
It's a really cute saying. Anyway, listen, thank you so much for being, <laughs> give us that. party shots. Where can people find you? What, you know, obviously you have a book coming out so that's on Amazon and presale. Yeah. Let's just mention the Netflix show and your socials, anything else. Where can people find you to continue this combo? That, I mean, any of my socials, Instagram, TikTok, um, you know, I'm going to be on a lot of more net, you know, podcasts, so forth and so on, you know, and people have been reaching out to me and I just hope they continue to do so. And, you know, let's change the world. Congratulations on everything you're doing for you. Thank you, Karen. It was great to meet you. And by the way, congratulations on everything you've accomplished. You're, you're a badass, like full on. All right, take care. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people, you know, it's so funny, people that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week? Thanks so much, Gary. Today's amazing five-star review reads, just do what feels right. Every day I'm out of a rut of caring what people think. Whether it's family or friends, they don't live my life, I do. This mindset is built by me and was inspired by Gary. Listening to this podcast helps me keep my mind on the right path and reminds me to remain grateful. Thank you. No, thank you for that amazing review. And to anybody else listening out there, if you leave us a review, you might just get shouted out in the next episode.